Mr. Jamie Woodwell, thank you for joining, my friend. Glad to be here. Thanks, Dalton. So uh, if you are in our space, in the mortgage space, uh, you know you know of the MBA, the Mortgage Bankers Association, really one of the premier uh, groups in the mortgage world. And always, you'll have a, do a spectacular job of keeping your finger on the pulse of where the market is, where the market's heading. Uh, I, I just thought back, I haven't thought about this in a while, I uh, thought back to the first MBA conference I went to many, 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 many years ago. Uh, it was probably seven years ago at this point in Boston. And one big thing I remember from there, you had James Taylor uh, at the concert. And then I was at our booth and I walked around the corner and I saw a guy in Ray-Bans I was like, this, this is a handsome looking dude. What's he doing around here? And then I was like, it's Kevin Coster. So Kevin Coster was there. I don't know if you recall oh. any of them. Um, no, I, I got to see the James Taylor show. Um, and actually, funnily enough, one time on stage, James Taylor's mother came up behind me, tapped me on the shoulder and said, James, thinking that I was James Taylor because we <laughs> were balding in similar ways. And she was, she was sorely disappointed when it was just me. But... I see it. We'll have to get, uh, I know the cap that he wears. Uh, he always wears, it was kind of like a driving cap, something yeah, similar. Right. We'll have to get a, a real estate of things hat for you and you can go, you can go full boat James Taylor for Halloween next year. That'd be great. Uh, as, as much of a James Taylor fan as I am, uh, Kevin Costner just blew it out of the water for me. <laughs> just getting to see him. I, uh, growing up, big uh kevin costner fan i think by definitely by virtue of my dad um so for the for the love of the game was a big movie growing up and yeah, yeah so it was really cool to see him um uh, cool so for those folks who don't know you specifically jamie you're head of commercial real estate research at the mba uh so you are exponentially more intelligent than me, which is great for me. So you're going to carry all the conversation here, but give me, give me, before we dive into that, give me a quick rundown of you and how you got into the mortgage space um, and how you landed your role at MBA. Yeah, sure. So uh, like you said, at MBA, I'm responsible for our research on the commercial and multifamily markets. I work with Reggie Booker, other colleagues here uh, doing that, just trying to keep track of what's going on. Um, we've got an incredible resource in that we get to work with uh, firms like yours, others that are out there in the space to collect great information on what's happening really in just about real time. Uh, and so it, it's a great way to a great place to see the industry from and what's going on. Uh, that then comes out in uh, research reports that we do at our conferences and articles and other things. But I've been at MBA now for almost two decades. So I've got to see the industry go through some ups and downs and ups again and downs again. And uh, luckily there's, there's always an up after a down. Um, but I uh, have been really focused on the industry for, for even longer than that, um, working at Fannie Mae, working at a commercial and multifamily mortgage banking firm, uh, before that doing work uh, with the National League of Cities and others sort of tracking uh, economic trends, what's going on in cities, what's going on in real estate. So uh, again, super fun place to be in the industry. And as I'm sure we'll be getting into, it's always changing, right? There's, there's always something new that uh, if it's not right in front of us, it's just around the corner. Yeah, so let's start there. Let's talk about just kind of level set where we are at a high level. Uh, throughout the course of this year, 2022, we've had rates 
explode. I think skyrocket would be an appropriate term relative to where we were, you know, a year ago. Uh, you've seen rates go up, home prices have started to level out and even decline in some areas. Uh, but again, that's, I think all of this has to be taken uh, relative to what's happened in the few years prior. It's like when you think about uh, values becoming flat and declining, before that you had ridiculous HPA, so people are probably better off uh, now than they would have been without that spike, even though you have uh, values coming down. So I'm bouncing all over the place, but you know, you've had rates, you've had HPA all over the place. Uh, you have just general economic and consumer sentiment uh, you know, here we are recording this the week after Thanksgiving and Black Friday sales were strong, but it feels like the expectation is that there's going to continue to be a, an overall economic cool down throughout the balance of this year, throughout the first part of next year. The Fed has signaled that they're going to continue to increase rates, maybe not as rapidly as or as deeply as they you know, envisioned a couple of months ago. But you have all of these uh, headwinds popping up. So that's my super simplistic overview of where we are. Translate that to uh, to something more intelligent and useful if you could. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be uh, more intelligent, but it, it's funny. I think we all need sort of a model to figure out all these changes that are going on. How are they affecting markets? How are they thinking things through? And you know, one of the things that I've, I've sort of been focused on of late is that when you look at what's going on in the markets right now in sort of commercial real estate, which would include single family rental, multifamily, office, retail, um, industrial and others. Uh, what what this time reminds you of is that we're really commercial real estate sits at the confluence of three different markets. And you've got the space markets and supply and demand for space. Um, mm -hmm. You've got the equity markets and how investors are valuing that space. And then you've got the debt markets. And because commercial real estate is super capital intensive, you know, it requires a lot of debt and sort of what goes on in the debt markets can have a big influence on commercial real estate. And, and oftentimes we'll have something happen in just one of those markets, either the equity markets or the, the um, or the space markets or the debt markets. And it'll sort of throw the commercial real estate um, markets a little bit off balance. Right now we're going through these really wild trans transitions, a lot of which you alluded to really in all three of those markets. And so what you're seeing right now, I think, is uh, real estate professionals uh, and, and amateurs trying to figure out what's going on in the space markets and supply and demand for different types of space, whether that be homes, whether that be um, the office, uh, uh, office square footage, whether that be retail, what's going on in the equity markets and how are investors looking to put their money to work? Are they risk on? Are they risk off? Are there certain yield hurdles? hurdles they've got. And then in the debt markets where, like you mentioned, uh, since the beginning of the year, the base rate on the 10-year treasury has jumped from, you know, one six to three, uh, the high threes where we are today. Um, that's before you add on a credit spread. And if you look at the short end of the curve, sort of shorter term borrowing adjustable rates, that's gone from essentially zero to the mid four. So you've had these really dramatic changes in all three of those uh, markets. And I think to figure out where we are, you have to really put go through each one of those and think about the space markets and where are we there and how might the economy be affecting that, the equity markets and where where are we there and what's next and, and likewise the debt markets. Is that, does that make some sense? 
It definitely does. So, so let's unpack kind of the economic state through the lens of those three markets. And uh, of those three, uh, which one do you think is in the, the gloomiest current state? Um, yeah, gloomy is a tough word, right? But I, I, I think the, the place where you get the most, uh, if we work backwards in some ways, the debt markets, we've seen a lot of what's the, the dramatic changes that we're going to be seeing. So we can talk more about that. In the equity markets, I think there still is a lot of uncertainty about where we are in the transition from the equity markets and, and asset valuations. Um, mm -hmm. But then the space markets are, I think, where you've got people working through where we are um, and it brings some of the gloom to bear there. Um, so any economic uncertainty would really hit the space markets most directly and whether we see a pullback in demand from space. Um, but when you when you unpack that to different property types, uh, you get very different stories. And, um, and you have property types like apartments and industrial that investors and lenders still have a lot of confidence in, that you look at the performance of those assets at the, the um, demand for them, uh, where uh, where in-place rents are versus asking rents and the potential to sort of grow in-place incomes. And there's a lot of positivity about apartment and industrial. Retail, I think we went through a really tough stress test there. So people are getting their heads around. But then office is the place where people are really scratching their heads and saying, um, you know, what what's next for office? How, how, how should we think about this going forward? Yeah, the office one's one of the more interesting ones to me because whenever COVID hit, the world went remote and it seemed as we were coming, you know, the world was starting to turn back on in the summer of 2020 and late 2020. Uh, we as a company came back in the office and had you know 50% uh, cap on employees in the office. So we did AB weeks, one week here, one week remote. Um, but pretty quickly got everybody back in the office. And what happened was a shift towards a more favorable remote work environment. So we have, um, you know, you can have a couple days, a few days a month that you work remote. Uh, but it seems that from what I've been reading, companies are really going, you know, full force into getting folks back in the office with a little bit of a remote component. But the, my expectation as we were working through COVID was that it was going to drastically change the landscape of in-office versus remote work. And it doesn't seem just my qualitative observation that the impact has been as, you know, at, at as high of a magnitude as I thought it was going to be. Is that bearing out numbers wise? I, I think we're still working through it, that there are a lot of unanswered questions and it matters dramatically by the by the city, by the location within the city, by the company itself, by the property, um, by the property type. So there's a lot of variation out there, um, but it's it's the biggest sort of remaining unknown from the pandemic by property types. We, um, my colleague, Mike Frattantoni and I, uh, to help us get our own heads around this, put out a white paper just a few weeks ago, looking at office demand and, and sort of thinking through what can we look at past research and figure out what it might say about demand for office going forward. And to do that, we sort of took three steps back and said, why do we even office in the first place? Like, why is it that we go into an office and join join our colleagues? And 
Um, and it was interesting because during the pandemic, there was a lot of uh, early research and sort of surprise that people's productivity uh, held up when they weren't working in the office. And if you look at studies pre-pandemic, they actually show that you can get greater productivity um, from being remote than you can get from being in the office. Uh, a little bit of a head scratcher. But uh, what we found in looking through the research on that and other things is that in terms of getting today's work done, you can be just as productive in a remote or hybrid as being in the office. But what, that what you lose there is the development of workplace capital. And workplace capital for the company is sort of having a, a workforce that isn't a bunch of gig workers, but is people that have a common sort of sense of purpose, have information exchange that sort of build each other up. From an individual's perspective, workplace capital is that um, my boss knows me and the CEO knows me and my coworkers know me and I'm more likely to get that promotion or to get that raise and to be kept on in, in difficult situations. And so workplace capital is this really important thing it became less important during the pandemic because no one was building workplace capital, um, but that there still is that value to it. And so what we work through in the paper is whether sort of as we get past knock on wood, the worst of the pandemic, we get back to a place where that workplace capital starts to raise its head again and become more valued by both employees and employers. And that that brings people back to the office. It's not a sure thing. Um, and, we'll be working through how much that brings people back to the office. But we lay out a, a base case, which is that hybrid sort of remains the dominant form and what that would mean for the office market. And then this alternate where that workplace capital and that, that demand for workplace capital brings people back into the office more and you see less of a fall off in office demand than, than would other be wise be the case. Does that make some sense? It does. Yeah. And it's easy to see, uh, especially the hybrid model, why it would be uh, kind of the most attractive option, best of both worlds. And personally, that's my that's my favorite. I'm fortunate to live close to the office and, uh, you know, some days I can go home, let the dog out during lunch and just just stay stay home. And yeah, I, I feel more productive a lot of times whenever I am home. Uh, you have, you know, it's, it's a place where you have less distractions, uh, which which I think is maybe counterintuitive to what some might feel, but and varies household by household. Right. I don't I don't have any children running around. I have a, a wonderful, handsome dog and two cats and they, um, you know, they're they're pretty good attention wise. So uh, the hybrid model makes sense. Uh, one question that came to mind is how would you compare and contrast kind of the, the upswing after the Great Recession compared to kind of the anticipated upswing, whenever that's going to be, but just, you know, uh, to today? In terms of the markets writ large? Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's fascinating. If you go back and you look at the last three recessions in the U.S. Um, if you look at the uh, the dot com, the the global financial crisis, and then the, the pandemic, you know they're each completely different. Um, they're different in terms of how hard the labor force was hit, sort of where the the um, recession hit the economy the hardest, and they're very different in the ways they affected commercial real estate. And one of the things that's that's sort of counterintuitive about the 
global financial crisis, you know, one of the worst recessions since the Great Depression, is that um, it, it absolutely hammered commercial real estate values, but it hardly impacted uh, commercial property fundamentals nearly as much as during the 2001 recession or certainly uh, the, the pandemic recession. And so, you know, I, I think it's hard to take one recession in commercial real estate and compare it to another because they just, they're, they're each so different and they hit the market in different ways and therefore we come out of it in different ways. Um, the, the GFC, we really had that hit to property values and it was a long sustained hit. Um, mm -hmm. What's interesting during the pandemic is that through the pandemic, even though we saw the fundamentals of real estate get hit hard in terms of you know shopping malls closing, uh, office office uh, um, buildings being empty, um, we we saw very little impact on values. Investors sort of looked right through the pandemic, said this too shall end, and sort of maintained their what they were expecting for values. What we're seeing now is that with the changes in uh, in interest rates and with the changes in yields on other investment alternatives too, that's brought a lot of question now into what the right level of values are for commercial real estate. And that's something that investors and lenders and everyone else are just working through right now is if you're in the market today and you've got a property that is cash flowing X, what cap rate do you use to value that? Um, and oftentimes there's just sort of a, a consensus, right? That's, that's uh, developed by transactions taking place and people see what one property buy, uh, is, is sold for or bought for. Um, right now, it seems that there's, there's uncertainty about that and that's got a lot of transactions on hold and that that slows down that market discovery period. And so it's going to take a bit of time before we get back to, to a time where um, sellers and buyers are, are both pretty confident about that particular asset, that apartment building, that um, office building, that group of single family uh, homes, that should be valued at X. Um, so that, that'll probably take some time. Yeah. And I think uh, I like the way you described it and it, in my mind takes me to, from a lender's perspective, you know, if you have one variable uh, about which you're more uncertain than usual, then, and you can't, you know, you can't twist the knob of certainty and you can only do it. So, so far with so many different valuations and, and approaches. So what do you do? You have other levers to pull on. You'll, you'll decrease leverage. You'll tighten your credit box. You'll make other, um, constraining moves, not because you want to lend less money, but purely because of the risk piece, right? The, I think the chief role of a responsible lender is not to lend out money. It's to mitigate risk, right? So how do I safely put out a dollar and assume at a high degree of certainty that I'm going to get that back and some interest? Uh, do you, uh, I guess, uh, the commercial real estate space uh, and I guess office real estate space uh, we talked about, but multifamily and apartments, uh, even though values are shifting, uh, 
you know, rent growth, I think is expected to be something that holds up. And, and what are you seeing? I think some numbers I've seen thrown around five, six, 7% in 2023. Yeah. I mean, the multifamily market has just been um, beyond strong. Uh, when you, when you look at the U.S. housing market writ large across single family and multifamily, and it's essentially full, right? If you look at vacancy rates from the Census Bureau, they are either at or right at um, all-time lows. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that fundamental mismatch of supply and demand has meant that the, the, um, the cost of housing has been going up. And you've seen that on sort of single family um, as well as the multifamily side. Uh, so, so that's been a strong fundamental for, um, for multifamily. It, it's interesting. You're at a place right now in the multifamily market where uh, it, it's become one of the biggest factors in the Fed's decision making, because as they're gauging where inflation is, one of the biggest components of the measures of inflation are rent and owner's equivalent rent. So the way we measure that is really important. And the way the CPI measures that is sort of what's the rent right now that people are paying. What mm-hmm. we tend to look at in the market is what's that next apartment going to rent for? What's the asking rent out there in the market? Um, that that first measure of what is the typical uh, apartment uh, uh, tenant paying, that's been continuing to notch up. It hasn't grown as quickly as those asking rents have in recent mm-hmm. years, but it's been working its way up. Those asking rents, we've started to see them um, notching down a bit. So again, just phenomenal growth in the last couple of years. Uh, and so uh, even some some slowdown either in that growth or, or some net declines um, is, is nothing, nothing all that significant. But we're, we're seeing a, a bigger change in that asking rent growth. But that still means that the typical in-place rent has some growth ahead of it. Um, so it, it depends where you're looking uh, to try and try and measure that. Yeah, I think any any growth right now is a good silver lining to look to. Uh, so we'll hang on to that. Uh, thank you so much for joining, Jamie. I want to pick back up. You're, you're kind enough to come back next week for another episode. So I want to pick back up our conversation uh, right where we're leaving this one off. So thank you so much for joining and uh, looking forward to chatting with you more. Sounds great. And thanks. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, everybody. Take care.